The Tablet Show, Episode 12, with guest Richard Griffin. Recorded live Friday, December 16th, 2011. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Richard Griffin about building applications with HTML5 and WinJS on Windows 8. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome to The Tablet Show. It's a spinoff of .NET Rocks focusing on tablets and tablet development. Richard Campbell is here. I'm Howdy. here. We're ready to go. I'm excited. You know what I'm ready for? What are you ready for? Better know a framework. Because nice. you better. What do you got? Well, what I got is the... Um, so so you know the, the new async is everywhere in WinRT. Yep. And you use the async keyword and the await keyword. The async keyword uh, to make any method asynchronous. Mm-hmm. And then you use await to call it asynchronously. Uh, and that's uh, the way things are done in WinRT. And it's also the way things are going to be done in .NET from now on. Yeah. However, there are some times when you still need to call the dispatcher to invoke something on another thread um, using dispatcher invoke, just like you would in Silverlight. The old-fashioned way. The old-fashioned way. And Mm -hmm. if you really need to do that, you can still use the core dispatcher.dispatcher.invoke. Oh, this is in WinRT. Yep, core dispatcher is in windows.ui.core. And uh, just create, you know, get the core dispatcher and call .dispatcher.invoke or invoke async to get back onto the core dispatcher thread. And I can think one of the reasons you might do that is you're migrating a Silverlight app to WinRT and you don't want to rewrite all that stuff in async await. Right. You just want it to work. Yeah. Yep. That's good. That's good. That's very good. All right. Thanks for that, man. You're welcome. Who's talking to us? Awesome. I grabbed an email because we don't have comments on the tablet show yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is from Robert Burnt. And he says, guys, I've been enjoying your new podcast, The Tablet Show. And so have we. I've been listening to Don and Rocks for many years, and I heard you asking for help with a developer tablet for Windows 8. I have a Lenovo X220 tablet, which is i7, 8 gigs of RAM with a 320 gig hard drive. Whoa. Dude, hard drive? No SSD? It's a hard drive. Uh, that I moved over to Windows 8 a few weeks ago. The multi-touch works great. Two-finger touch and five-finger gesture, and it is beefy enough machine to do serious development on. I use this convertible tablet when traveling and at home. The main reason I went to this convertible tablet is because I like my tablet for meetings and surfing, like an Asus EP121, but I couldn't do serious development on it. It's just too hard to code without a keyboard, and the Bluetooth keyboard is awkward when you're in your chair or on a couch, and that's where the X220T came into focus. You can use it like a laptop or swivel screen and lay it flat like a tablet. It has dual digital microphones, a 720p camera, a fingerprint reader, and the battery life is great. The only downside is I would like the screen a little larger. It's only 12 and a half inches. It was an easy load of Windows 8, although I had to download a few of the Windows 7 drivers from the Lenovo site. One issue that I found was that if I loaded the Lenovo touchscreen drivers, I had trouble pulling out the side and bottom menus. 
Once I reverted back to the native drivers, everything worked great. Ah. So I think what he's talking about there is there's the driver set you get with Windows 8, but then not everything's going to be installed. And so you got to go to Lenovo Win 7 drivers. Just don't install the Lenovo Win 7 drivers for touch. Even the fingerprint reader works well. No more typing in a password to log in. Woohoo. But everybody can see your password when you touch the screen. Uh, so the X220T would be my recommendation until a new Windows 8 tablet arrives. Although I personally don't feel like I need a tablet to do tablet development. I just need touch to do tablet development. Well, to do testing anyway. Yeah. Certainly. But I think that, I think it's important. You know, the, the F5 cycle is so important. Tweak, tweak, tweak. You yep. really want that machine to have touch on it. Yeah. So I think that's the important part. And that's from Robert Berndt. And he is going to get one of the very rare, one of the very precious, one of the very first tablet mugs. Tablet show mugs. They're out there. And we're going to ship one to Robert. And if you'd like a tablet mug, you can write us an email, rocks at franklins.net. Talk to us about the tablet show. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited because our guest today is Richard Griffin. And Richard is the founder of XAML Ninja. And XAML Ninja specializes in the art of XAML, which they use to build innovative user experiences for the next generation of applications. He's a regular speaker at Mix, Tech Ed Europe, and an active member of the Silverlight UK user group, where he continues his quest to educate designers and developers on how to work better together. Good luck with that. (laughs) You can find him hanging out on the Expression Blend forums or read one of his monthly articles published for the Expression Newsletter. Richard is an Expression Blend MVP and has an interest in design and user experience, but he also loves to crank out code and dig into design patterns. You can follow him on Twitter at Rich G. That's R-I-C-H-G-E-E. Welcome, Richard. Hi, guys. How are you doing? How are you? And and you could tell by your bio, you clearly, I approached you initially to uh, to get you on the show to talk about the new version of Blend that was coming. But in our conversations beforehand, I found out you were doing work in WinJS. And so that's why I, I wanted to grab you to come to the tablet show and talk about that, because I'm really excited about the prospects of, of building an HTML5 and JavaScript on, on Win8. And I know things are different. So that's why I wanted to, to talk to you about that today. First of all, let me just ask, do you think that there are more JavaScript developers out there than any other kind of programming language? I hear that a lot. Yes, I think so. I think, um, you know, the the web community is is massive. And um, one of the things, you know, I've been on a very interesting journey over the course of, you know, the last sort of two months. And the open source community that's out there is amazing. It really is. They are so um, vibrant and active. It's it's really refreshing, you know. Yeah, I I mean I hear a lot that, and and I guess that's where Microsoft is really going with Windows Eight. Uh, you know, it build the big message was you can use JavaScript and HTML five to build real Windows applications, and uh, you know. I've, I'm not in that camp, so I, I'm not really sure what the reaction has been. What, how do you see the JavaScript community reacting to what they can do with Windows 8? Um, I think it's. I think it's. It will be very interesting to see, you know, how that community ends up viewing Microsoft, um, because I guess there's a little bit of antagonism between 
you know, the JavaScript open source community uh, in comparison with proprietary, um, you know, if you want it, you have to pay for it sort of philosophy. Um, but, you know, I think Microsoft over the last couple of years definitely changing. Um, if you look at Node.js, I was watching um, a Channel 9 video with Glenn, um, Glenn Block uh, this week, and he was talking about Node.js. And um, Node.js is JavaScript that runs on the server. Yeah. And um, the team that he is working with, um, he said at the end of that interview, I don't want to spoil it for everybody, sorry, but um, that they would open source everything. So I think the more that Microsoft is sort of looking towards open source, um, that that will encourage um, you know, people in those JavaScript and open source communities to look again, hopefully, at Microsoft and um, the new things that they're doing, and that um, you know they're not as insular and as locked as as what they used to be. Yeah, Node.js to me still makes sense from a JavaScript point of view because it tends to make small chunks of code that run on the back end. They're they're mm. quite isolated. We're talking about building Windows apps using JavaScript. That kind of frightens me. That's a lot of JavaScript. Yes, yes. And um, one of the things that I have found is exactly that. It's kind of, you know, um, things just break or they just pop. And you're kind of like, whoa, mm. what happened there? <laughs> and you, you don't know what's going on because, you know, everything's dynamic. Things just happen and you you know you might get an exception uh you might not uh the app might just stop um and so one of the things i've been finding with javascript um is that um you know it's so loose and computer science-esque if you know mm. what i mean mm. um that in certain ways it's absolutely beautiful but in other ways it can really bite you mm. um and so i think there's um um, a higher level of due diligence that you need to enforce when you're writing JavaScript. And one of the things that I found is that I have to write unit tests for, for pretty much everything that I do. Um, arguably, I should be doing that all of the time in .NET anyway when I'm cranking C-sharp. But, you know, sometimes that doesn't happen. Whereas in the JavaScript world, you have to enforce that diligence. You really, really do. Otherwise, well, that's generally the policy around dynamic languages as a whole, right? I mean, JavaScript's only one of them. The Ruby guys, I mean, all of this approach of development, you make this sort of write-only code unless you build really strong testing structures around it so that you don't get into those nasty booby traps. But isn't there a path of sort of certain elements of JavaScript that make better code than others? Like, have they still left everything in so that you can make a really big mess? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they can yeah. you can hang yourself. They're not protecting you in any way. Yes, yes, but you could also argue that that's the case for .NET. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, sure. True. You know, just because you have a compiler doesn't mean that you can't hang yourself. So let's assume that the, this show probably isn't being listened to by the vast millions of open source JavaScript programmers who now want to see when what WinJS is all about. I. I got a feeling that mostly it's .NET Rocks listeners or .NET developers who want to get smart about what they can do with WinJS. So when a JavaScript program approaches them in the street and says, you know, what's in it for me, we can actually explain ourselves. So why don't we 
talk a little bit about what we know in .NET and how that translates to JavaScript. I'm I'm not sure if you're you you, you do too much uh, C sharp or 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 yes, VB Net. Yes, no, I yeah, no, I'm a C sharp. Um, All right, great. C sharp monkey. So you know there there are different projections. For example, um, tasks versus promises. That might be a good place to start since async is at the heart of everything. Yes, yes, that's that. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, um, uh, how can we start this? So, um, so what's a promise? Well, a promise basically is wrapping up your async and await stuff. So in C sharp, um, as you were talking earlier on at the start of the show, you were saying, you know, I have to do async and then I, I have to do await. Um, in order to to do the new sort of asynchronous programming mm. model inside of C sharp running on WinRT, um, in JavaScript I find it a lot easier. You know, asynchronous programming is is pretty mind blowing at times, and it can get it can get sticky very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, in JavaScript, because you are dealing with a dynamic language. Um, it actually makes asynchronous programming a lot easier. So I can just create, um, I can create an array of promises, and in that array of promises, I can put in um, an XHR request, uh, an X, XML HTTP request to go and get some JSON, and I can literally, you know, add. Uh, sorry, um, that X and XHR uh, call that I make returns a promise. And I can put that promise into an array of promises. So okay. instantly I can create an array of asynchronous calls. So I can just set up all of these calls that I want to make in the array and just let them go. So you can think of them as tasks, really? Yes, yes. But you are not going, you're, you're um, you know, the, the mental model or the, um, you know, it, it using tasks can get is quite you know it's a little, close to the metal yeah middle lower respects. more lower level so a promise yeah. is just something that promises to finish and go away and clean up after itself yeah yeah literally I can just say promise I can do uh, you know when I'm doing the chaining I can just go promise dot then it's an anonymous um, method and inside of that I do the processing that I want to do when that um, promise completes all right so I can save essentially first do this when that's done do that and when this is done do this and chain these promises together and when yeah, it's all sure. done uh do what happens when it's all done um well when it's done it, it just tidies up after itself um the other thing that you can do in javascript which i don't know if you can do in c sharp is you can join promises together yeah i, be- I so believe you, you can, can with set off tell me they don't these- call that a marriage yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still getting the giggles over calling stuff promises in the first place. Yeah, it is so. kind of funny. It is kind of funny. Just yeah, well, the thing is, I, I saw, again, starting off on this journey, it was kind of, what on earth are promises? And then when you actually start looking at things like Node.js and um, you look at the JavaScript um, uh, libraries that are out there, actually promises are something that is known to the wider JavaScript community. It just hasn't been completely formalized yet in the JavaScript language, I believe. So it is something potentially that JavaScript guys that are not used to um, coding up on WinJS are already familiar with. Mm. 
Interesting. I mean, it, I'm presuming anything in the WinJS class is Microsoft specific, right? This only runs under WinRT and nowhere else. But you're saying some of this may actually show up in JavaScript long term? Yeah, well, some of the language features. So, mm-hmm. for ex- example, the asynchronous language features that we see in WinJS at the moment, they are being used by the wider uh, JavaScript community. Well, hey, well, how about but that? You, you are right in terms of, you know, when you build on WinJS, you are building for platform-specific stuff. Yeah, and I think that, that, that can't be emphasized enough. This this is not a cross, cross-platform development approach. Right. That's, that's correct. Um, so, again, on this journey that I've been going on it, uh, is that, um, and maybe we should talk about this in a minute, is that, um, you know, I... I'm a I'm a company. I have um, a website. It's built in JavaScript using um, something like Backbone.js, which is a open source MVC style framework that uses Active Record. Um, I might have a, an Azure backend uh, or a, an Amazon. Uh, services backend and what I'm looking to do is actually take my website and move it into a WinJS environment and make it into an app mm-hmm. and one of the things that I'm still looking at at the moment is how do how does that marry up you know in terms of I have all my service layer defined and that's working nice I have all my models um, I have my controllers set up you know how what's the gap between taking that sort of JavaScript, which isn't actually platform specific to anything, mm-hmm. and bringing that in and plugging it into a Win, you know, and getting that to work on WinJS, it's something that I'm still investigating in terms of, um, you know, how how do you get these underlying services and controllers that are not platform specific mm. to work in a WinJS environment? Because, you know, I think Microsoft have been very smart in opening up uh, the Windows platform to this larger community. Um, But how does that larger community take all of this existing stuff that they've invested time and love into and bring it onto the platform? Let's uh, jump over to data binding. Um, Data binding in WinRT is more like Silverlight or Windows Phone data binding. What's the story in WinJS? It's exactly the same, dude. Really? It's exactly the same. You well, um, you know, why wouldn't it be really? Well, yeah, if you think you about want it, it. To be, you know, you, you want it to be. And um, the other thing, you know, which if you're sat, hopefully you're sat down, you're not going to fall over. Um, WinJS supports converters. Oh, great! So all of that, you know, I'm a XAML guy, so all yeah. of that awesomeness that I that I get in XAML, I'm actually getting in WinJS as well. Now. In Win, when you're using WinJS, you're not using XAML at all, are you? That's correct. That's correct. So maybe we should. Maybe that's quite a good thing to talk about next. Is that? Yeah. Um, so what are the comparisons? So WinJS, uh, in terms of JavaScript, let's say, is the equivalent to our C Sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, the HTML is equivalent to our XAML. XAML. And CSS is equivalent to styles and templates that we use mm. uh, in XAML. Yeah. Well, now, yeah, see, now I can see why you guys are so stoked, too. Yeah. Because coming from the .NET world, you're looking at this going, okay, I get that. You know, I, that I, I take my XAML skills and I can migrate them over this. But you know what I'm still wrestling with? 
But whether I'm coming at this from a web development stack point of view, or I'm coming at this from a .NET development stack, why do I use this? What do I get? You know, it's not enough that I can migrate. Do I win something new? Like, is there something shiny there for me? Okay, so I think I, th I think that's a very interesting question. Um, and for me at the moment, based on what I've learned, is that if you already have exist, if your content is already built for the web, i.e., um, uh, what's a, what's a good example? Um, uh, a newspaper, for example, um, the Guardian, the Financial what, what's Times. What's a newspaper? I'm sorry, can sorry? you define that word? You just said newspaper. I, I never heard that term before. <laughs> 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 now you're just talking crazy, Tom. <laughs> so we like our guests to define their terms. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you, I'm yeah, sorry. You totally derailed everything. Now I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So if you remember what a newspaper was, maybe you, you know you read your newspaper online. Um, pretty much all of that content is is HTML content and. Um, if you want to build a Silverlight app um, and you want to not have to, you know, recreate all of this content, you know, it's dynamic content. It gets updated every day. Um, and, you, you know, why can't you use the same endpoint? Um, and in, in Silverlight uh, or in WPF, um, you would need to use a browser control. And as soon as you get to use the browser control, if you've used that before, then you can end up in some interesting places, especially with where airspace and, and stuff like that is concerned. Um, whereas in WinJS, I can just make a request in JSON, I can get the HTML, and I can just say content.innerHTML equals blah. And I get all of that HTML content rendered straight into my WinJS app. Wow, cool. So I don't have to use that the Silverlight browser or the WPF um, a plugin browser to do all any right. of, of that. So I think if your content is is already prepared for the web, then I think WinJS is definitely the way to roll. Um, if you're not in that situation and you're not a JavaScript person, then you know why not go XAML and C Sharp or XAML and C plus mm plus. -hmm. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You really think the only thing you're gaining here is the the reach into the community. Yes, yes, yes. I guess in a way, yes, that's one way of, of looking at it. Mm. But it is going to be, I, I feel like we're on shaky ground here because I think real JavaScript purists, and maybe I have to go hunt one down for that conversation, I got I see them resistant to this to some degree. Although, you know, when you realize, when you get the sense that promises are going to show up anyway, maybe it's not that resistant. Yes, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right there, Rich. Um, it, it, it's an interesting time ahead. Um, well, you can't say they didn't create something cool. Yeah, I mean the the other thing as well when you going back to the sort of similarities, you know, in between XAML and and what's and what's in WinJS, you know, when you think about things like templates, for example, well, in WinJS you use templates, mm -hmm. um, and when you look at the HTML that's being produced, you know, that's very similar to the XAML that is being produced, and the other very, very interesting thing is that, um, you know, and I love XAML, hence the whole mm. XAML Ninja thing mm. going on, but um, I built a semantic zoom uh, control in C-sharp and XAML. Yeah. 
wow, you know, and that's one yeah. thing I love, I'm loving about when RT is performance is absolutely awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and to build the semantic control, you know, kind of thinking, wow, if I had to do that in WPF or Silverlight, I'd still be here now creating the controls and, you know, working out how on earth I'm going to do this. Well, let me just define a couple of things. Semantic zoom uh, is where your view changes depending on your zoom level. So your UI will actually change when you're zoomed in up close than when you're zoomed in back. And all, when you say templates, that that's a gen, general word and a specific word also. So what did you mean when you were mentioning templates? So um, just like how we have um, a data template in um, XAML or yeah. um, we, if you've done any Windows Phone 7 development work and you have something like a pivot or a pano. XAML and templates. You want to, you yeah. want to change the the header, um, and that uses a template, right? And you can change it that way. It, that's that's exactly the same philosophy that you'll see in WinJS. So there's a lot of parity, and, and like you said earlier, you'd hope this. There's mm-hmm. a lot of parity between how you approach building something in XAML and how you approach building something in WinJS. Yeah. So the thing with the the semantic zoom, which is a, an awesome control. Um, is that I built that in, in XAML and C Sharp, and hey, you know, I'm quite impressed, and mm. actually the performance is fantastic, and, you know, the, it's smooth, and, yeah, it's it's got those fast and fluid uh, traits to it. And then when I started this journey on WinJS, I thought, right, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to build a semantic zoom control. And, wow, I built that semantic zoom control when, you, when we talk about the comparison in lines of code between HTML and CSS and XAML, you know, I'm looking at a third of the amount of code. Wow. Less? Yeah. In HTML5 and CSS? Yes. Do you know yes. how counterintuitive that is? Yeah. That's so very... this is the thing that I've forgotten and probably w- wasn't actually aware of is that I've been loving XAML so much and loving its declarative nature and hating it sometimes. Yeah. Um, that then when you look at HTML, you're going, my goodness me. It's so verbose. XAML is so verbose because it is this declarative paradigm in comparison to HTML, which is so succinct. So in XAML, where I want to change layout, so, okay, I've got to change layout, I've got to create a panel. It's going to be a custom panel or uh, a panel from out of the core. Mm. Uh, I might have to do some binding in that to make sure it all fits properly and it's working nicely. And, hey, boom, I get the layout that I want. Mm -hmm. In HTML... I set a property that says number of columns equals two. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. It's it's laughable. It really is. You are. You are. I'm just like. Yeah. Now you popped a reality distortion field for me. You know. We. I think we've been so used to HTML, CSS, JavaScript being the clumsy language, and and maybe we're wrong. You know, one of the thing, one of the reasons that we like SAML so much, and you got to admit this, is because of the IntelliSense and statement completion in the editor, Visual Studio. Without that, I don't know as if I would be writing it because it's so it is verbose. Yeah, that's that's right. how, that is the fix for the verbosity. Where the other yes. alternative would be just don't type so much stuff. That's right. Yes, yes, and so and that's one of the problems with XAML is that um, you know when you want to do something simple, i.e., I have a button or um, I have a list picker in Windows Phone Seven, and all I want to do is change the color of something. Well, I can't just change the color. I've got to create a style and a template, and then I can start changing things. Right. 
Whereas in HTML, in WinJS, using the HTML stuff, it's just like a dependency property. Hmm. So now it becomes really simple because you've just got to type in basically a property name and give it a value, and boom, yeah. you're done. Yeah. You don't have to explode out the template in order to fiddle with something and change it and make it bespoke how you want it to be, you know, customize it. And that, for me, has really blown the doors off, you know. I'm kind of looking at this going, wow. You know, I'm looking at some HTML right now, and, you know, all that's in that HTML file is HTML. All right. of my layout and um, styling, well, that's hidden away in CSS. Right. And that's the other thing I find with XAML is that, you know, yes, potentially good practices are to, you know, have um, your templates in a place and have your styles in another place. Um, but most of the time, people kind of just stick them all together in, in the file, or maybe they're doing them inline if they're not using the static resource mechanism. Yeah. And because of that, the XAML gets very muddy sometimes because you're confusing layout with styling mm -hmm. and the template. And and you can separate them. It just takes discipline. Where in, in HTML, I guess we've really got the discipline. You can mess it up in HTML too. Yes, yes, hell, you could mess it up in HTML. Um, but I think what I'm what I'm trying to get across is that the separation of concerns is much clearer because the community and obviously HTML has been around, CSS has been around for a lot longer than XAML. Uh, the community has got this really nice sort of separation going on instantly as soon as you walk up to it. Well, it's because it was, it evolved in, right? That we real, they started out putting everything in HTML, realized, oh, that's really bad. And along came CSS to abstract that as opposed to XAML, where we started from scratch and, and mm -hmm. maybe didn't think it through all that well. I mean, granted, you can still do it. It's just that they're all XAML files where because the, because one's an HTML file, one's a CSS file, they're clearly for different purposes. Yes, exactly. Yes. That's a very, very good way of, of doing it. You know, the way that I structure, my XAML is I very much have, you know, I have a, I have loose XAML. So I have a, a, a XAML file and in that is everything to do with styles. Mm -hmm. I have another XAML file and in there is everything to do with colors. Uh, I have another XAML file and in there is everything to do with data templates. Do you have a naming convention around each of those different XAML types? Yes, yes. You know, data templates always end with data templates. Right. Um, so yes, but that's very much me enforcing that on myself yeah, in this order is to discipline, not yes, tooling. yes. Whereas, as you've just said, the CSS and HTML has evolved that discipline, mm -hmm. and, so, and also tooling. You know, yeah. the, the HTML editor and the CSS editor are not the same thing. Yes, this portion of the tablet show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems. All of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources 
such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the tablet show. Can we go back to the async stuff for just a minute? Uh, yeah, you, sure. you mentioned um, uh, the XHR function, and I, I just didn't want to gloss over that because it's pretty important. Uh, tell, tell us about that. Yes, the XHR um, XML HTTP request is gorgeous. Yeah. So this is the root of all Ajax. Oh, you know, yeah. think of the most luxurious drink that you'd like to drink at the bar. <laughs> so it's winjs.xhr, you pass it a URL, it returns a promise. Yes. You're done. So literally you can say winjs.xhr, bang in your URL, dot then, boom. Yeah. You're done. Yeah, that's you nice. Done. And you know, and the thing that comes back is is potentially JSON. And so one of the thi- one of the things that I'm I have me myself and I moments about is mm. the creation of dynamic objects. So um, you know, one of the things that I've one of the apps that I've built, Playtime, um, is very much a read only view of data. And in that instance, I just get the JSON objects back and I just dynamically create the object. With the properties, you know, it's so, so quick and simple to do. Um, but, you know, in terms of a bigger industrial commercial style app, I'm uncertain whether or not, you know, that that's a good way to roll. Um, and I don't know whether or not that's because of the background I have, like you guys with static languages and we kind of live in this world where we have to create classes mm-hmm. with properties and stuff. I don't know if that's baggage that I'm carrying with me or not. Um, we'll wait and see, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm not sure why either. I, I, I'm getting more and more used to this idea of promises and having arrays and I'm, uh, of them, and I'm thinking that it might be a nice little structure to use in a C-sharp application too, or a .NET app, I should say, speaking as a VBNet guy. Well, and objects don't make sense in the typical Java application, JavaScript application, which would be building a web page where, you know, you're pretty much fetching that data to grab a couple of values and then you're done with it. Why did we construct this thing? Right. You know, we're in normal development. The object persists. We're right. going to manipulate it. We may even pass it back up again. Right. Yeah. So I think part of this is process, but it, you know, we're sort of crossing the line here. Are we a web app? Are we a console app? Like well, what's our life here? What's the lifespan of this execution space? Does it make sense to organize something that much and be able to manipulate it before you push it somewhere else? Well, and you know, but the thing is, is that these WinJS apps are stateful Windows apps. Right. Right. So it's yeah. it's weird talking about JavaScript in a stateful way. <laughs> we forget. Yeah. So you it's know? not just me. No, no, we forget. It's like, yeah, these are Windows apps. Yeah, yeah. I just just a very slight segue. Um, have you guys heard of Knockout.js? Oh yeah, yeah. We interviewed sure. them as well. So Knockout.js is very very interesting, and um, you know you can do MVVM. You know, if you come from a world that is you've learned MVVM. Then, you know, hell, you can use that same pattern and produce a JavaScript app that has a great pattern. And that's one of the things I think mm. we, uh, we need to, and this is a bigger question, obviously, but that's one of the things that I think we as software engineers need to, some of us need to step away and say, well, it's just a pattern and it's a principle. And if I can, u- if I understand this pattern and this principle and how they fit together and how I can make them work for me, well, then, the language becomes 
slightly irrelevant at, at times. I know that's uh, I'm making a lot of assumptions. Less there, important but, than it should be. You know, if you can do MVVM and you understand facades and factories and singletons, mm. then you can go and do all of that stuff in JavaScript. Mm-hmm. And that means that you're, you know, what you're building has a robustness and quality and engineering aspects to it. It's not as you were saying earlier on, you know, oh, I need to do a bit of JavaScript, right? Let's go onto a web page, view source, take the jQuery, put it in. Wow, that's awesome, fantastic, great. Push it up to the server. So where does the line blur between CSS and XAML styles? You know, the 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 kind of styles that we like in WPF and Silverlight, and then you've got CSS. Where do are are, the, are we using sort of a hybrid version of styling in WinJS? Um, there are um, there are some window-specific pieces in there because of some of those controls that we use, i.e. the grid. Well, that's, that's Microsoft-specific stuff. It's not a HTML W3C standard bit of kit. So in those cases, then you have MS-specific things that you play with. But in general... Um, the CSS that uh, I've, do- I've done so far uh, is all based around media queries, which, um, you know, for the for those guys out there that are building web pages that need to um, look great on a desktop, look great on an iPad or a slate of some description, or look great on a on a on a mobile device, they're using Fluid. Um, layout uh, and that's all based around media media queries and that means that your layout is fluid so when i view it on a desktop i see it in one way and then when i view it on a on a slate device i have fluid layout and that means that everything wraps Mm. and i get a nice layout that's meant for that particular resolution yeah it's it is an interesting issue there uh style css has never been one of my favorite technologies just because it, uh, yeah. it seems so counterintuitive as, as a developer but yeah css is still very much a kind of um black art for me at the moment yeah. um but you know that was very similar to to xaml in the early days true but and i'm worrying about you've got the WinJS ui namespace and then you've got css for styling like how does this transition over? What do you What do you mean by that? I'm Sorry, just Rich. thinking. You know, we've got the the WinJS approach to building controls, which ultimately is going to affect layout and look. But you're coming in. If you're coming in with a web app, you've got a bunch of CSS that's already taken on a lot of that. I'm just, it sounds like that's a very challenging migration if you're going to utilize the UI namespace. Yes, yes, and I think that's that's what's very going to be very interesting in the you know, in the, in the months and years is how do, what is this gap? How big is this gap that you need to jump? If you have all of this code that looks fantastic, right? Um, how do you get that on, on, you know, how do you, you know, what's the effort involved to get that? Yeah. And, and again, what do you get for it? Like, are you, you're actually redoing your UI into this other set of namespaces that is no longer portable are you going to get a benefit? Is it faster? Is it lighter? You know, like what, what do I get? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, in general, I find WinRT incredibly fast, you know, Microsoft have done a really great job in cranking performance. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
sorry to sound harsh to the Microsoft guys out there, but it's about time, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, you're going to say the same thing about IE10. Well, you know, I, honest to God, it sounds like IE10 is going to be the biggest competition to win JS. That hey, my app runs really, really well in the IE10 uh, without plugins, right? The Metro mode. Yes, you know, and so, you're going to really have to make a compelling pace for this cost of migration to get something new. Yes. So there are two really interesting questions that come next, and um, the first question I have is kind of, you know, apps. Um, Yes, I can see why apps are, have their place, but are we coming to the end of an app world in terms of, you know, if you're giving away your app for free, then mm -hmm. well, it, it doesn't make any difference to you. If you're charging for that app, then somebody's making a percentage right. on, you know, putting that app in their app store and allowing their, their customers, their end users to get access to your app. Mm -hmm. um, now, I don't know whether or not that's going to last because when you factor in the fact that if you've built a HTML, a really great HTML site and you're using media queries and you're using fluid layout, well, as a user, then I can fire up my, um, my Win8 Slate device. I can pull up a browser. I can go to that person's website and heck, it looks fantastic. Right. In, you know, in that form factor. And hey, you know, I've got a mobile and I pull out my Windows Phone 7 or my iPhone or my Android. I go to the same URL and I get a great experience again. I'm using offline um, storage mechanisms in the browser. Right. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm having mixed emotions now about apps, mm -hmm. um, especially that the, the browser itself is, is really maturing to allow me to do things in the browser that, you know, before you might say, well, I can only do that in an app. I can't do that in a browser. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think we're at an interesting inflection point here because history has shown us that building generic code to run on multiple platforms makes an inferior product and that building code specific to the platform makes a better product. And you will, you may get to market first with a generic product, but you will be clobbered from behind by the guys who build stuff platform specific. But the generic approach is getting richer and yep. the frustrations of platform specificity are getting significant. And plus now, like we, we said before, Richard, you know, on your Kindle Fire, which by the way is selling like crazy, yep. 10 million a week or something ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. Um, on the Kindle Fire, you have, you go to your, your apps and you might launch an app that actually runs in the browser. And you don't even know it, mm. you know. So what I heard about the fire—I mean, we don't—I don't know if we have the fire here in the UK at the moment. I don't think we do. But um, what I read, there was a comparison between a fire and, and, um, and an iPad, and it said—I'm kind of assuming that the, the article was right. It said that the fire supports Flash. Yes, it does. Now that's quite interesting because mm -hmm. obviously Flash not supported on an iPad and it's not supported on Win8. Oh well, yeah, that's because uh, both Microsoft and Apple have proprietary Flash alternatives that they want to push. Isn't that interesting? But they also don't want to, you know, the the Metro Mode IE10 supports no plugins, including Silverlight. That's true, yes, exactly. Richard. Yes, that's true. But there is this, you know, on one hand you've got this attitude of let's get away from plugins. You know, and I, I just double hit numbers. It's a million a week fi fire they're selling, which is still an astonishing number. 
Yeah. It's a $200 device versus an iPad, which is a $600 device. I mean, the two really shouldn't be comparable at all. And you would think the $200 device is exactly what you don't want to run Flash on because Flash is, you know, performance heavy. No, you know, I, I disagree. I go to YouTube on my Kindle Fire and it works just great. I love it. I, I didn't know whether or not Amazon were thinking of creating an app store and that app store, you know, um, would support flash based applications. Yeah. Well, I mean, Amazon's already got a flash store. Right. Okay. Right. Well, or, then or that kind of they sense. are in the, you know, they're selling the Kindle at break even or below because they know they're going to sell apps. So they're, yeah. they're in that space too. So it is interesting that possibility and think of the cadre of people that are out there that know how to build flash apps. Yeah. You know, right now they're making their living out of Facebook, but maybe Kindle is where they're going to end up. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yes. And the thing I was thinking about was then when you think about the future and just like what we talked about, maybe the, the browser will end up um, um, taking its place and, and app stores will reduce in their popularity. Then what happens to all those guys that have put in lots of effort to creating flash apps and yeah. Amazon sort of saying, you know, we're not going to support them anymore because everybody's building HTML5 and JavaScript. So I found that quite an interesting move by Amazon, who are a tech company at heart. Why, you know, why would they support Flash when, I guess from my angle at the moment, I'm kind of thinking, well, why are you not supporting HTML5? There's one other element here that we're not talking about, which is that people won't pay for web apps and they will pay for something they install. True. Yeah, they that's, will not pay that's, for web apps. That's a very good point. Right. I mean, the, the reality is if we drive everything to web and people are not willing to pay, developers will go do something else. They do have to eat. Yeah. So we, I think we are at an interesting impasse. Yeah. And it also depends on the type of app. I mean, the type of app that web developers build typically isn't the type of thing that you would, you know, make a lot of money on. It's not your typical business application. Well, anyway, um, let me just get us back to uh, WinJS here and talk about event handling. Now, as a C-sharp or VBNet developer, event handling near and dear to my heart. I understand all that. How does that work in JavaScript, in WinJS, rather? Yeah. Um, it's not as clean as what you're used to. <laughs> okay, next topic. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, takes, it takes a bit more effort to do what yeah. you what you are accustomed to doing now let's say yeah. um but um i've been using jquery ui and 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 jquery um and that's you know that's a really nice way of of dealing with events yeah um that are happening in the you know happening in the dom yeah yeah so but yeah different different way of doing it um what is nice um, about WinJS is that you can define namespaces as well so that you can actually put those events inside of the namespace so they're not clashing with you know other events that you might want to call the same in a, in a different place in your app. Um, so having the namespace, obviously, as we know from um, .NET, um, that helps us in a lot of ways. Yeah, sure does. Which is quite nice. Um, just one thing I wanted to, to sort of kind of uh, say r really quickly a about the whole WinRT, we mentioned the performance thing and it kind of, you know, I'm a .NET person. Why am I looking at WinJS and all this sort of stuff? We, um, we built a, uh, a, a Windows Phone 7 application for a customer 
And um, they were very interested with having a slate offering. So we said, well, okay, we can, we're pretty confident that we can take what we have from Windows Phone 7 and bring it on to, uh, in, into Silverlight World and get it to run on the slate. And, um, we run, uh, something called the Windows Phone 7 Contra, which is a open source framework on Coplex. And we, we picked that up. We ported it over to Silverlight. We had an app within about eight hours running in Silverlight, uh, you know, out of browser on a machine. Woohoo. You know, absolutely awesome. This yeah. is a fantastic story. Um, however, we had the slate. It's running Windows 7. The slate isn't really that powerful and you know the thing just didn't run mm. it's it it was amazing to see you know well hang on a minute i haven't really changed any code uh it runs beautifully on my windows phone 7 device and i pick up the same code and i put it on a win 7 slate device and it just runs like a dog to the point where no customer's ever going to use this because it's so slow when it comes mm. to performance that mm. it's unusable um, and I think, you know, Microsoft have really sort of stepped up to the plate and delivered something that, you know, does perform really, really well. Because when I got to that crossroads with the Silverlight and the out of browser, you know, the thing that we turned around and said as a team was like, well, let's build it in WPF. So we built out in WPF very, very quickly. Um, and we still saw performance problems. You know, huh. and um, for me at, at Build, it was very much a kind of, you know, Microsoft, you really have to pull something out of the bag here because I want to build, you know, innovative next generation touch uh, applications, but I can't compete. I can't compete with Objective-C and Java guys building apps on Android, you know. So at that moment in time in September, I was ready to to sort of move to another platform in a completely different language because mm -hmm. on that other side of the world, that means, you know, out of the box, I get 60 frames a second. I'm not having right. to do an awful lot of work to try and get 60 frames a second. Um, right. But I've been very, you know, I'm, I continue to be very impressed with, with Metro and Windows 8. So it's a good thing. It really is a good thing. All right. One last thing, the editor experience. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The development experience. What What is that like for me as a C sharp or VBNet guy doing J Java Win JS development with HTML five? Um, it's okay. You still get you know your context sensitive help and everything. I'm 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 waiting for ReSharper to hopefully come out with something that um, you know I'm a big ReSharper fan. I don't know if you guys right. are ReSharper guys or, or not but i love resharper it's yeah, awesome it's, um, it's the de facto tool for refactoring yeah and that's kind of i'm looking forward to that tool coming to to the plat you know to winjs as a language um you know one of the things at the moment with winjs that i've been playing with is that it's it's you know every page has code behind and, and most of the samples that you see are, are writing a lot of code in there and you know we've gone to a lot of efforts in in silverlight and, and wpf in the xaml world to create mvvm um and make sure these things are, are separated and disconnected in some way um there are no real samples at the moment out there that I can find at the moment that really sort of give you as a developer 
uh, a starting point for a pattern. Mm -hmm. um, I have created some simple MVC stuff, uh, and that works quite well. But um, you know, I'm I'm sure there there are better ways of doing it than the way that I'm doing it. Um, but I guess that sort of guidance will come over time. Yeah, it is still early days too. Hey, mm. I know Carl said one last thing. I want to throw one last mm -hmm. thing in as well, which is uh, talk about the build and deploy story for uh, constructing stuff in, in WinJS. Um, well, my my build and deploy experience at the moment is currently hitting F five. <laughs> right. Uh, that's. I mean, that's fair because we we talk about pre release software here, right? It's not like you're rolling it out to a bunch of machines. Yes, yes, very much so. You know, it's um, you know in um, in the editor next to your play button, you've got that little um, drop down list, and you can target uh, the simulator or you can just target native. So um, at the moment, I'm I'm not really using the. Um, oh, I don't think we should call it a sim. Do we call it a simulator or an emulator? Emulator, yeah. Uh, because it's more like the Surface Sim than it is the Windows Phone Seven emulator. Anyway. I'm sure there's a technicality somewhere, but uh, <laughs> difference between a simulator and an emulator. Hmm, hmm, hmm. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so I just been I've just been hitting F5, and you know, hey, it 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 pops up and it's it's there. And it, so and it's just to be clear, it does compile into an app. This is not yes, a bunch of yes, it does, HTML files. it does. Um, uh, the other thing that I guess which is quite important is, um, you know, um, do you guys use Silverlight Spy? Yeah. Yeah, I do now. How about Snoop? You guys use Snoop and stuff for WPF? Uh, no, similar me. sort of similar sort of thing. So one of the nice things about Silverlight Spy is kind of you know you're looking at your app thinking, well, hang on a minute, I'm sure that control should be there. Why is it there? And um, you can interrogate the tree. And you can look at the tree and you can pull it apart and go, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason why I can't see it is because visibility is, uh, isn't set to being right. visible. So, okay, I'll go do that. Um, in, um, in WinJS, in the Visual Studio tooling, you can inspect the DOM while it's running. So you can, um, if you have a slate device, um, you can, um, you know, hit a breakpoint, um, or you might even be able to do it while the app's running as well. And you can um, go into Visual Studio and you can actually interrogate the DOM. So you can hold control uh, button down and you can move your mouse over certain elements and it will inspect the tree and explode the tree for you. So you can actually see what's going on um, in the in the tree itself, which is very, very useful. Awesome. With that, also, so basically that functionality is now built in. Yes. Yes, yes, it's 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 in there in, in Visual Studio. For better or worse. Well, I'm a little less scared about uh, WinJS and HTML5 now. I hope you are too. No, I, I'm excited. I think it's very interesting. But, you know, the, the path forward is not clear. I do feel like Microsoft has just laid everything out in front of us and said, all right, give it a try, see what happens. Well, that's, in fact, exactly what they've done. So that's what we should do. Give it a try, see what happens. And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely definitely give it a go is because you might certain things might change your opinion of javascript i have definitely changed my opinion of javascript from you know six years ago when i was doing atlas is what it was called you know yeah. um javascript's come a long way and css has come a long way recently as well and i think it's an it's in a very very interesting time as richard said is that 
you know, CSS3 is looking really good. HTML5 is looking really good. The experience now that people have with JavaScript and creating frameworks, it's, it's a very, very interesting time, especially when, you know, those, those new things that we see are really sort of to take on the plugin, you know, um, you know, how much longer is the plugin going to be around is, is a really interesting question. Um, for me, I, I think it depends on the sort of app that you're building, but um, for consumer-facing apps, personally, I think it's sort of last drinks at the bar for Silverlight and Flash. Hmm. But I could be very wrong. Well, you can't argue with the momentum and the people behind saying we're going to let that go, right? And it's not like Kindle's dedicated to it; they're just not making it. They're making it an option. I, I'm still not willing to put plugins to bed because I'm still seeing projects out there that are doing things in those plugins and i'll say flash and silverlight more or less equally that i don't believe html5 can do but i'm willing to be wrong well and also remember we're talking about client applications here we're not talking about corporate applications or enterprise apps yeah yeah yeah. i think that's a very important thing for the the people out there listening is that this is really focused for me anyway at the moment this is really focused on consumer apps you right. know, apps that i would download from an app store yeah um i think the whole enterprise situation um is very interesting and i think you know if you are you're a developer building silverlight apps at the moment and they are enterprise applications then you know you're you're going to be developing silverlight for a long time to come sure. yet sure that's what i think too well richard thank you very much richard griffin's thank been our guys. guest and uh, thanks. It's always an interesting conversation here on the Tablet Show, so come back again. We'll see you next time. It's not-